Okay, there we are. I remember when I was about 10 years old, there was a Sunday evening that was very memorable right here at church. Uh, I was about 10 years old. I was with my good buddy, John, and uh, we were uh, hanging out. Our parents were over here in the uh, fellowship hall having a small group, and it was just me and my friend John, and we were, I was a PK, and so obviously as a preacher's kid, we kind of had a lot of freedom that maybe we should or shouldn't have had, but we basically had that whole building next door, the children's building, which used to be the old sanctuary, all to ourselves. And so we did what two 10-year-olds would do with the building all to ourselves. We played hide-and-go-seek, which it was kind of fun with just two of us. Um, but I remember us playing that, and it was a Sunday evening, and all of a sudden it got really dark. And it wasn't because the sun was going down. It was just really Really dark, cloudy dark, wind started to pick up, it started to rain, and we didn't think anything of it. So we just kept playing and running, and there's this long hall upstairs in that other building. If you've ever dropped uh, your kids off over there, or maybe you remember it from the old days, but there's this long hall with all kinds of rooms and doors attached. And I remember distinctly running down that hall, hiding, and being in that hallway, and all of a sudden, every door in that place just slammed shut at the exact same time. And it scared me to death. I mean, we were both scared out of our minds. We were like, what is happening? And I remember going to the window, which probably wasn't smart in the middle of a, a thunderstorm. I remember going to the window, and we used to have this well out here where they had the water. And literally, the well top just blows off. And then we had this little five-by-eight trailer that the church owned, and you just saw it flying across the field. I mean, it was scary. Like, you could hear glass breaking in different rooms of the, of the place over there. And uh, needless to say, a tornado literally came right through our campus like several years ago. And I was right here on campus when it happened. And uh, I remember this very vividly. And, and to be honest, it's still to this day something that I will, I'll probably always remember that. And the reason I want to bring that up is I want to talk about the fact that weather is a very powerful force here uh, in our world. Weather has the ability to really destroy things. Think about that storm that rolls through, that ice storm that rolls through and just literally just drops it where there's no traffic on the roads, or the thunderstorm that knocks the power out, or the persistent rain that floods your basement. Weather is a very powerful thing, and there's this word associated with weather. There's this word that talks about the, the, the environment that happens just before the hurricane makes landfall and just before the snow starts to fall from the blizzard. And the word I want to talk about today is the word climate. Climate. The climate is the environment surrounding the weather. It's really the precursor to the weather that's on its way. This series is called Climate Change, and honestly, it's not what you think, okay? So uh, I'm not here to debate like scientific models or make some kind of political statement. What I really want us to talk about, and really the point of this series, is just to simply declare that just as weather has climates, human beings have climates as well. And so we're going to say a few things this morning as we get started. You have an outline there, it's a paper outline, or you can use the digital handout. But a few things I want to say really quick about this issue. The first thing is this, number one, you have a climate. When you go to school, you have a climate. When you go to work, you have a climate. When you come to church, 
There's a climate associated with you. When you sit down at the dinner table with your family or when you go on a date, there's a climate. When you first wake up in the morning, there's a climate. And when you get behind someone going 40 in a 55, there's a climate in your car. We all had this. And really the way to think about it is it's the environment you create around you with your demeanor and with your mood. The environment you create around you with your demeanor and with your mood and in every circumstance of life, you are doing this. Whether you know it or not, you are generating a climate. The second thing I want to say is this. You usually do not know what your climate is. When you're in the middle of a climate, a bad climate especially, you usually cannot recognize that. It's very hard for us to see our climates. It's kind of like this, and this is a really weird illustration, but it just kind of hit me. It's kind of like when you've been working all day and you get to your house. You know, you got the kids, you picked them up from school, you're coming back home for the day or whatever, and you open the door and that wall of stink literally just hits you right in the face. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like you get home and you're like, oh man, I forgot to take the trash out. Or there's some smelly diaper somewhere in this house that's making this place smell terrible. And you walk in and you think, I don't know how anyone can live in this smell. But what happens? Your kids distract you, something distracts you, and you forget, right? You forget to go take the trash out. You forget to go find the diaper, and you just get busy. And then what happens? Your spouse gets home, and they walk in the door and have the same spiritual experience, right? They walk in, they smell the same thing, and what do they say? What in the world? How have you not went and changed this? Like, go change the trash can out or go find that diaper. What has happened? What's happened is you become nose blind, right? It's the term we use when we get used to something like that. You've become used to the environment that you're surrounded in, and you don't really even notice it anymore. You don't even really smell it. And this is kind of how our climate works, okay? It works kind of the same way. Many people can spot your climate, but it's very hard for you to spot your own climate. I have the privilege to work with some great people on our staff uh, at the church. And we had this little office up here. It's a house that we kind of converted into an office. And we're in really close quarters. And literally, you can hear everything in those offices. Um, but the guys, uh, two of them that I'm really close to, our younger ones on staff, Christian Harmon, our student pastor. Hey, buddy, how you doing? And then Wesley Green over here with his coffee. That's awesome, Wes. Um, he's the good singer, by the way. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's kind of interesting. We've been in the office, and they've said this to me before. They've said that I can literally walk in the office and they not see me or hear a word come out of my mouth, but just by the way I'm walking in the door, they can know what my climate is walking in the door. They can hear the way my footsteps are, what my climate is. And some of you with spouses, you know it's the same thing. Some of you with roommates, if you've been, had a roommate for many years in college, you kind of know, all right, I know what this person's like. I don't even have to see this person. I can hear their footsteps and know what their climate is. And the truth is, we might not be able to see our own climate, but people can definitely see our climate. And it's hard to be aware of. And here's the thing that makes it so difficult. This is where the rub comes in. Our climates, if left unchecked and left poorly, 
can create tremendous devastation in our life. And which brings us to our third point. Your climate dictates the forecast. Your climate dictates the forecast. There's always a forecast on the horizon. This is why meteorologists are so good at what they do. Because they can look at a climate, they can see the environment, and they can predict with pretty good accuracy what's on for the forecast. What's coming based on what they see in the climate. And the Word of God does the same thing with us as human beings. Look at Galatians, uh, you don't have to turn there, but look at Galatians 6, 7, it's right here on the screen. Do not be deceived. God is not marked, mocked, excuse me. I've said that word wrong in both gatherings. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We know this principle really well. What you sow, you're going to reap. What you choose to do has direct consequences. And in the context of what we're talking here, the climate you carry with you will bring about a corresponding forecast. You see, all of this, all of this plays out through Scripture time and time again. And it plays out even in the very first family mentioned in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 this morning. Um, that's where we're going to be. Adam and Eve, uh, it didn't take them long to be excused out of the garden. I mean, th- th- we're in the first three chapters, and they've already messed up. They've already sinned. And they are now outside of the garden, living their lives. And they're about to start their little family. And you, you have Eve giving birth to two sons, Cain and Abel. And here's the thing. Most of us, when we hear those names, we kind of already know the story. In fact, whether you've grown up in church your whole life and you remember the felt board, you know, with Cain and Abel on them, or whether this is like the first time you've ever entered a church building, chances are you've heard the story and you know how it's going to end. We all know how this story is going to end. It's going to end in murder. It's going to end in murder, and you have this here. And so the question is, why are we talking about this today? I want us to do kind of an autopsy on this story. Not an autopsy on Abel, but an autopsy of what happened. I mean, what brings a brother to kill his other brother? How does this happen? It goes back to what we said just a second ago. The climate is dictating the forecast. And the question becomes, what does the climate look like for these two brothers? So, if you have your Bibles, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, it says, Adam became intimate with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, this is kind of cool, and you got to kind of get some context here. Think about what happened the chapter just before this. In Genesis chapter 3, God hands out the punishment to Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And in the midst of telling Eve what her punishment is, she gives Eve a little bit of hope. What she says to her, it's one of the most powerful, it's really the first passage of hope in Scripture after the fall. It's Genesis 3.15. She says to Eve, your seed, your offspring is going to crush the enemy for good. It's going to crush the punishment of sin. It's going to crush the oppression of sin. It's going to crush the serpent's head for good. 
And she remembers this because now she's having her firstborn son. And here's the thing. There's always something amazing about that first child that comes. It's not that they're more favorite, favorited or more likable or anything like that. It's that that first child into a family, into a husband and wife, creates a new family dynamic. So they're dealing with this already. They're dealing with just the joy and the excitement of the firstborn son. But it's a little more than that for Eve. She's thinking to herself, could this be the son that crushes Satan? Could this be the son that crushes the punishment of our sin? And then verse 2 says, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So you have Cain and you have Abel, and they are both charged with two different tasks. They are two different interests. They have two different interests, totally different people, and they ultimately have two different personalities, two different personalities. And it's the same with us when you think about it as human beings. Like if I asked you to, I'm not asking, but if I asked you to raise your hand, if you're an extrovert in the room, like you'd be the person, you'd have both hands raised and like a foot. I mean, you're like, yeah, that's me, man. I'm all about, I'm all over the place. I'm the extrovert. I'm the the guy that likes being around people. And then if I ask the same question to the introvert in the room, you ain't going to raise your hand for nothing. Like, let's be honest. You ain't raising your hand because you know if you raise your hand, you're going to have to explain to someone later why you raised your hand and you just want to avoid that conversation all to begin with. And so you ain't raising your hand. There's others of you in the room that are very task-oriented. Like, you get a charge out of a to-do list. Like your Saturdays, your dream Saturday is having this long list, right? And we're getting the closets, the baseboards, the cars washed. We're checking this stuff off. And at the end of that day, you're like, man, we did a lot of good today, right? And you're the kind of person, man, you're usually 10 minutes early for everything. You're the guy that's got the big picture. You're the administrator and that's working for you. And then there's this other group of people over here. You're the relational people, right? I mean, you're the people that everybody wants to sit down and have a cup of coffee with because you are so engaged, right? You're so engaged in what that person has to say. And the thing is, a lot of times when you're that engaged person, you're sitting in the coffee shop, many times you forget that you're missing your next appointment because you're so engaged with this relationship, right? There's those kind of people in the room. There's serious people. There's funny people. There's all kinds of different personalities in the room. And Cain and Abel were no different. They both had different personalities. And the danger when it comes to our climates, the danger for us and our personalities is to use our personalities as an excuse for our terrible climate. What do I mean by that? I've heard this phrase a hundred times, and I've said it a hundred times, and you've said it a hundred times. It's just my personality, right? We're acting a certain way. We have a certain behavior. We have a certain climate, and what do we say? It's just my personality. I'm just not a morning person. I'm just not a morning person. I, I need my cup of coffee. Just get away from me. Just stay away from me. Until I've had my cup of coffee, I don't want to talk to you. And you literally you got a shirt that probably says it. That's, that's you, man. That's, you're using your personality as an excuse for the negative climate that you've created. Or, I'm just not a people person. I'm just, I'm just not a people person. I do better in small groups. What are we doing? We are creating an excuse based off of our personality. Here's a tough one for me to say. 
I'm a person of excellence. And when I go to a restaurant, I have that same expectation of excellence. And so when they don't meet that expectation of excellence, I feel obligated because of my personality to let them know how they're not meeting excellence and hold them accountable as a solid believer in Christ. No, your attitude just stinks, right? This is the truth about our climates. We tend to think that our personality is what is dictating our climate and what's determining our climate, but it's not our personality. Your attitude determines your climate, not your personality. And here's the thing. We're going to see this story play out with Cain and Abel, and the truth of the matter is it's not because they have different personalities that cause the issue. It's something else. So you have two guys, two different personalities, two brothers also with two different possessions. Look at verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So you got two brothers with two different tasks, and they're working in two different areas. You got Abel the shepherd and Cain the farmer, and they are both giving of what they have. They were bringing what they were given through the work of their hands and God's blessings, and they were giving back a portion of that to God. And here's the thing I want us to keep in mind. It wasn't their possessions affecting the climate around them. And I'm gonna, I want to talk about this for just a minute because this is another place where we like to use our possessions as an excuse for the negative climates that we create. In fact, we use it for positive climates as well. And the reason I know this is that many of our, some of us in this room, our climates rise and fall based on what the stock market is doing that day. Based on that 401k, based on clicking on there and seeing what's going on, we're sitting there thinking, okay, I've either gained, and if I've gained, I'm in a good mood, and if I've lost, I'm in a bad mood. Or maybe it's that Thursday afternoon when you go and you go to the mailbox and you open up the mailbox and you pull out that big, thick envelope from Atrium Health and you open it up and they get to tell you that they've decided to apply that payment to your deductible and you're going to owe all of this money. What does that do to us when that kind of stuff happens? This idea of have and have not, this idea of gain and loss, we think it's those things that is affecting our climate. This happened to me Friday. Friday, I get up, and I'm with my two youngest children. We're at the house, and we're just having a really peaceful morning. Uh, Crystal, my wife, is in Spartanburg uh, dealing with something, and literally, I get a call from her, and she's always very, very positive. She's always good with how she handles this, but she says, basically, hey, I just want to let you know I'm on the side of the road <laughs> in Spartanburg. The, uh, the car literally just stop working, like literally going down the road and all the gauges start failing and it's, it's awesome. Um, and so what do you do? You're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, one, my wife's on the side of the road in Spartanburg and two, um, we're going to have to get my car fixed. We're going to have to get with that. So I'm scurrying around. I'm grabbing the two kids. We're going out the door and then I can't find my wallet. 
And I don't ever lose anything, but I'm looking everywhere for my wallet. And here's the thing. You all probably can guess. You can probably be a fly on the wall and guess what my climate was in that moment, right? Like, it wasn't the best climate. And here's the thing. We tend to think that it's because of those things that we have, those things that we don't have, those things that we've gained, and those things that we've lost. We think it's those things that determine that. Like, truth is, I got to find my wallet, praise God. But here's the thing. We think so many times that our climate is dictated by things like this, whether we have or whether we don't have. But this is not true. Our climate doesn't work that way. Your perspective determines your climate, not your possessions. It's not the items you have and don't have that, that determine what kind of climate, what kind of mood you're generating. It's actually your perspective on that. And this is what brought Cain down. It was not that his brother was bringing this and he was bringing that. It was his perspective in all of it. It was the fact that these two brothers ultimately had two different climates. And let's see what that looks like. So they bring the offerings from their possessions before the Lord. Look at the end of verse 4. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now here's a question that you might be asking. And here's a question, truthfully, that's been asked for centuries. Like literally you could read a hundred different books on this issue and get a hundred different answers. Why is it that God rejected what Cain brought? Have you thought about that? Like look at this. Why is it that God rejected what Cain was bringing but not rejecting what Abel was bringing? Some people say, well, it's because it wasn't an animal. It wasn't an animal sacrifice. Like that was, the, that was what he was supposed to do. And, and that could very well be true. We don't have proof for or against that argument. But here's the thing. The only problem with that or the only challenge with that is there were all kinds of offerings in Scripture. People did grain offerings. People did different offerings, not just animal offerings. In fact, even today, I doubt I'm going to walk out here later and find a lamb chop in the offering bucket. Like, we, we've kind of gotten away from that, mainly because of the cross, but also there were multiple types of offerings in Scripture. Here's the thing. God sees something here that we don't need to miss. God, and only God can do this, God knows the climate of Abel, and he knows the climate of Cain in this moment. He knows what's there. And it's not based on personality or what they're possessing and even what they're giving. It's based on what's in Cain's heart. And there's a clue to this in verse 3. Look back at verse 3 with me. In the course of time, Cain brought, look at the word, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And then look at verse 4. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. What's this saying? Fat portions there, it means the prime cut of meat. It means the top of the line. Not only is it the prime cut, it's the prime cut of the firstborn. Okay? This is the top of the line thing. So whether it should have been an animal or not, here's what we know to be true. Abel brought the best of what he had. 
He brought the best of what he had, and his climate, when he came before the Lord, was solid. It was what it should have been. Cain, on the other hand, was apathetic in what he was bringing to God. It just says there, there's no description of what he brought. It's just, just some fruit, just some probably half-ripe tomatoes. Let's throw them on there. All right, we're good, God? Okay. This is his attitude. This is his climate. It's terrible. Cain's climate was bad long before God rejected the offering. And we see this all throughout Scripture, this principle play out. That the kind of offering was not as important to God as the heart behind the offering. And here's the truth. We've all been there. We've all been in the boat with Cain. In fact, if we were honest, out of a crowd this size, there's probably maybe one or two canes sitting in here this morning, right? You came here, your climate's terrible, and you're here and you're worshiping, but really, you're feeling no different than Cain. We've all been there. Some of you were there this morning. I was there yesterday. I was struggling yesterday. In fact, if we could literally rename this whole series, it shouldn't be called Climate Change. This should be called Jonathan's Weaknesses, a 42-part series. Like, literally, this is one of my biggest struggles and probably the reason why God brought this. Because for a lot of us, we have gotten to a place where we think our negative climate is innocent. We think it's just a little thing that we got going on in our life. It's just, you know, I'm just in that mood. Just leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. This has tremendous impact on the relationships that we have and on the testimony that we lead as believers in Christ. So look at what God does here. God sees the climate of Cain, and he knows what forecast that climate is going to lead to. Look at what, he, what God says in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain... Why are you angry? Now, God knows, right? God knows everything. God knows why he's angry. He's trying to get Cain to reevaluate his own life for just a minute. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Hey, Cain, don't you see what your climate is right now? Don't you see what's going on here? And then I love the goodness and grace of God in this next verse because God is trying to give him a gracious out here. Look at what he says in verse 7. If you do what is right, Cain, will you not be accepted? It's kind of like the way your dad does to you every once in a while, where he walks up when you were a kid and he puts his arm around you and he's like, buddy, let's get this together. Let's let's get this right. You're kind of in a bad place right now. Let's get this right. You can kind of hear God's affection in what he's saying there to him. And then God gives him this warning. He says, hey, if this is going to continue in your life, if this kind of negative climate continues, the forecast is not going to be sunny and bright. It's going to be death and destruction. The end part of 7, he says this. God says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. God gives us this incredible word picture of sin literally crouching at the threshold of a door. It's almost like this thing that's crouching, waiting for you to come out. And the minute you step across that threshold, it's ready for you. 
the Akkadian translation of this passage, it calls this very thing the demon at the door. That there's this demon at the door that desires you. The word desire here in your passage there, it suggests that sin wishes to be intimate with you. And it's the same kind of intimacy we find with the black widow spider, right? A black widow spider, you guys probably remember this in science class, the black widow spider is one of the very few creatures that once they become intimate with their mate, what do they do after? They kill it. They kill their mate. This is what God is saying to Cain and what he's saying to us, that the demon at the door desires you and ultimately wants to destroy you. And what he's saying is what separates the Cains from the Abels, what drives you to the threshold of destruction or the path far from it. It's not your personality or your possessions. It's ultimately your decisions. Your decisions determine your climate. And every minute of every day, we are making decisions that affect our climate that are ultimately going to affect our forecast. Look at this little map I have here on the screen for you. Decisions that you make about your attitude and decisions you make about the kind of perspective you're going to have are going to lead you to one of these two places. They're going to lead you, one, to a positive climate, a climate that is good, a climate that is fun to be around and nice to be around and pleasant to be around, and going to lead you to a forecast with relationships that are lasting, that are permanent, that are satisfying, and that are built on love. Or... You're going to make choices about your attitude and you're going to make decisions about your perspective that are going to lead you to a negative climate that brings about ultimately destruction. And here's the truth. We think, it's so easy to think, this is so innocent. I I just had a little five-minute blow-up. I'm fine now. But these little moments, these little attitudes, these little bad perspectives are taking us to a climate. And that climate is going to dictate to us a forecast. And Cain's climate, because of his decisions about attitude and perspective, brought him right to the threshold of this door that God is talking about. This terrible climate that brings about one destructive forecast. One destructive forecast. Cain hears the truth about his forecast. He's standing right at the threshold And he walks right through the door. He walks right through it. The demon at the door has him. Look at verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And we all know where this is heading. God gives him that warning. He gives him that forecast. And Cain doesn't even respond. He doesn't even talk back to God here. Instead, he completely ignores God and focuses on one thing, premeditated murder. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain's climate brings about this forecast of death, and it's true for everyone in this room. Our negative negative climates can bring about a forecast of death. First, death in relationships, death of relationships. Nothing brings about the death of relationship like murder, by the way. But here's the thing. It's deeper than that. Look at verse 9. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, he already saw what he did. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that, Cain, is yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are the firstborn. This is your brother. You are his keeper. You know, as a dad of four boys, this, I've, I've heard this story for years, and it never really hit me hard until I became a parent. Because I think about this all the time. Like, what brings two brothers to this point? And it's that prayer of, man, I don't want my children to grow up alienated from each other. And this is what you see with Cain. That the truth is, Abel was dead to Cain long before he killed him. And this is the truth. Our climates have the power to kill relationships. And for some of us, we're a testimony to that. We've had situations because of other people's climates, and maybe even if we were willing to admit, because of our own climate, where we've killed relationships in our life. Secondly, there's a death of blessings that happens here. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. God took the thing that he was good at, the skill he had, the gift he had with working the land, and he took that blessing from him. It's very similar because it's interesting that if you go read Genesis 3.17, he does the same thing to his father, Adam. The exact same punishment. But there is a death of blessings that occurs when we choose to live in our negativity and our negative climate and our sour attitude. We lose out on God's best. Thirdly, there's a death of community here. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. It, I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Here's, here's the good side of Cain. He didn't lose his life, but here's the truth about Cain. He lost everything else. Like he lost everything. The man at this point was isolated. Isolated from his family that he knew, his home that he knew. He had to completely isolate himself from that. And this is what our climates do. They isolate us from intimacy in real relationships with people. It wasn't just that Cain lost a brother here. He lost Everything except his life. Which brings me to this last thing. There's a death of peace in this destructive forecast. Verse 12, the latter part, God declares to Cain, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Verse 16, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence, that's a sad statement, and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is kind of how this story ends. All of this potential in this guy. All of the potential promise, all those hopes, all those dreams that Eve had for her firstborn son, gone. Just like that. Because of his choices about attitude and about possessions and about perspective. Gone. 
And you, you hear the end of that little story of Cain and Abel. And to be honest, it would make for a great Greek tragedy. Because it's pretty tragic. I mean, where is the hope of the Cain and Abel story? The hope is this. That there was another firstborn. Colossians 1.15 calls this firstborn the firstborn over all creation. Except he didn't kill the righteous like Cain. No, he was killed by the unrighteous. He wasn't punished for his sin like Cain. He was actually punished for our sin. And Jesus Christ comes onto the scene as the ultimate fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. That promise that God made to Eve long ago, Jesus comes on the scene as the true firstborn and accomplishes that. Breaks the penalty and the punishment and the oppression of sin in our lives. And the hope that we have is that when we see Jesus... If it wasn't for him, we would inevitably end up just like Cain. We would be victims of our climate. We would be victims of our attitude. We'd be victims of all of these things. But because of Christ, we don't have to walk through that threshold. Because of Christ, we don't have to visit the demon at the door. Because of Christ, we're not a victim to our moods. We are a victor, victor. We're victorious in Christ. The good news of Christ is that we might be standing right here today, right in that threshold with our terrible climate that's just constant. But the good news is we can step away from that. We have the power through the power of Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ working through us that if we're a believer in this room, we can step away from that threshold. We can step away from that destructive forecast. You know, many of us have grown up with this story. We've heard this story for many years. We know it. But do we understand the importance of what God is trying to say to us today? That like Cain, our climate has the power to shape our forecast and to shape our future. And if we were honest today... Maybe for some of us in this room, if we were honest, we need a climate change. We need a change in our climate. And we need to do it sooner than later before it affects our future forecast. Some of you might be here today and you might be saying, you know, I can feel that the Lord is doing something in my life. I can feel that there's something there. I can't really put my finger on it, but I know something that something's there. Others might be here and say, you know, I, I don't really know if I struggle with this that bad. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I might have an occasional outburst here and there. I might have this or that. And, and here's the thing. The one thing that this message does not do is it does not, it's not able to identify your specific climate. And the problem with all of this goes back to the second point of our introduction, if you remember it. You usually don't know what your climate is. So we're kind of in a, in a bad spot because we realize, okay, this is, if, if we let our climates go this way, this is what it's going to end in. It's going to end in destruction. It's going to end in devastation of relationships. We, we get that. There's no peace there. We understand every bit of that. The problem is, how do we identify our climate? I got some homework for you this week. 
And here's the thing. We have different kinds of invitations here at Pleasant City Church. Before COVID, we would have a time, a lot of times, where you can come and pray at the altar or pray with a pastor. And right now, that's just not feasible for us. You can definitely call the church office, and we'd love to pray with you. But here's the truth. This is not that kind of invitation and application. This is what I like to call homework. And let's be honest. If we were truly honest, nobody likes homework. Parents don't like homework. Kids don't like homework. When I was in school, I didn't like homework. College students don't like homework. But here's the truth. Homework at times is good for us. And in this case, that's what I'm asking. It's not fun. And this homework assignment this week is not fun. But the first step to changing your climate is going to be identifying it. That's the first step. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to find three mature people that you are close to. Three people that you're close to that are mature, that maybe are are hopefully are followers of Christ. Three people that are mature. And if you're married, your spouse is an automatic one of them. So don't try to get out of that one, okay? Um, I got to do this too. I want you to find three people that you're close to that are mature. And I want you to ask them this question. And if, they haven't, if they're hearing the message right now, they, not, they know what, what's coming. If they don't know this message, they can either watch it or you can rephrase this question in a way that makes sense to them. But here's the question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to live with me? What's it like to be my roommate? What's it like to be with me when things are bad, when things are good? What's that like? Now, here's the thing. There's three rules that you got to follow when, when doing this. First of all, this isn't a group project, okay? So if you're a task-oriented person, I know what you're thinking already. You're thinking, all right, this is going to be tough. We're going to get it all out of the way in one swipe. I'm going to get all three of my friends together or three people together, and we're just going to let them hit us. Don't do that. It's not going to end well, all right? So don't do that. It's an individual thing. The other thing it's not is when I say individual, I mean it's a one-way conversation. So spouses or roommates that are in the room, don't do this. Don't ask the question, hear the answer, and then tell them all their stuff, okay? That's not going to end well either. What you're going to do is you're going to let it be a one-directional conversation. Now, you can go back later and maybe a day later get the other side of it if that's the, what the person wants. But this is a one-way conversation. The other, the other rule is this. You're going to hear three things, probably three things, when you get with that person and they're honest with you. You're going to hear encouragement, which is good. If they're, if they're a mature believer, you're going to hear encouragement. You're going to hear something surprising that you didn't know, something that you think you might have figured out, but you actually don't. And then thirdly, you're probably going to get your feelings hurt. And that's okay. Lean in to that moment. Because God wants to use these people in your life to tell you something about yourself and what you're generating in the climates that you're creating. And the third thing is this, and this is hard for some of us. This is really hard for me. When you hear the response... 
Don't rationalize your behavior. Don't try to defend yourself, even if you think they're wrong in their assessment of you. Just listen to everything they have to say, and then when they're done, say, thank you. And let that be the end. Let God use that in your life. And if you disagree with them and the Lord says, hey, they're dead wrong, then that's between you and the Lord. If they're absolutely right and you still disagree with them, then that's where the Lord's going to work in your life. But I want to encourage us to do this. And here's the thing. If you don't do this, it doesn't mean that your climate is not there. It just means you're not willing to look at it. And so I want to encourage you this week. Don't be like Cain. Don't follow a path of destruction with this negative climate that's affecting you and everyone around you. Choose a path that's good. Choose a path that's away from this destructive forecast. All right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, uh, for your word. God, we thank you that even in the midst of a tragedy like Cain, God, that there is a truer firstborn, a better firstborn that set us free from the bondage of having to walk through the threshold of sin. God, we don't have to follow that path. We have the power of you living inside of us. And God, because of that, Lord, our relationships with others can be love-filled and satisfying. Because, God, we want to produce something that is holy and good. God, we don't want our testimony ruined by our negative climate. So, God, I pray this week that we would take this seriously, Lord. God, that, that all of us, including myself, Lord, would just take a time to really evaluate what we're putting out there in the relationships we're in. And not just think that we know, but, God, that we would seek out people that could be true to us and tell us what that looks like. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you, God, for everything that you've done for us, that we can now not be a victim of our mood and a victim of our demeanor, but that we can walk in victory with a future that is bright and sunny. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.